Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We are not doing this, however, without considering the works we are committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Well, if you don't know, we've been going through a series that we've entitled Questions, and I've asked you guys to to give me questions, and you have, and you can still, if you have uh, the time you want to write down in the back there, there's a little notepad that you can write, and I will try to answer the questions uh, that you present as best I can. I can't promise that I'm going to answer all of them. Uh, last week, we really touched on what was probably the most common question that had to deal with suffering, had to deal with the things that are happening in our lives, in our world, and why there is suffering. And, and I attempted, and I'm sure not adequately, but to give an understanding of God at work in all of creation that he is transforming and that the miracle we saw that Jesus did in John chapter 9 with the blind man was just a, a microscopic version of what God is doing overall. Jesus did not heal every blind person that was in Jerusalem or in the world at that time, but what he was showing us is that God is working in these people's lives and in life itself, in creation itself, to transform things. And we saw the cross and the resurrection is how God takes and transforms death into life, and that is the work that God is doing. And trying to have faith and trust God for that work is a difficult thing. Uh, before that, we talked a little bit about the the political conflicts that is taking place in our country. And I feel almost the need to talk about that again, because things are really escalating, but that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. So um, give you guys a break, give you a week to, to think things through. One of the things I want to talk about, though, the questions that I've had And I think they're interesting questions. You might think of these things as kind of, oh, that's funny, that's silly. But really, they're not. They're topics that people have. People have asked me about time travel. Is 
that's such a thing. Is there the possibility of time travel? I've talked about deja vu. What is deja vu? Why do we have these feelings of I've been here before and deja vu? And I've had questions about aliens. Are there people from other planets? Are we alone in this universe? And I'm a big X-Files fan. So that may weigh into my bias here. Uh, but I think these are important questions. And so this morning I'm going to talk about the Encyclopedia Britannica, Marbles, and the Game Clue. Okay, those are the things that we're going to touch about. Who remembers encyclopedias? Do you guys remember those? 32 volumes or so, right? They would weigh approximately 132 pounds of information. They would sell for $1,400 to $2,000 for a set of encyclopedias. We could never afford the current one, so they had to update them every few years because, you know, there's a new president, there's all these new things happening. And so you would get an older set, like from 1920 or something like that, but hey, it's still a set of encyclopedias, but this was the information that you had. And it was so cool to be able to look up things. And they were all in this alphabetical order, right? Soybeans were right next to space travel. You know, where else could you see those two things connected in that way? But it had all the information that they had available at that time, or what they said was all available, on these different subjects. It was so interesting because who wrote these things, right? I'm sure their names were there somewhere, but I have no idea. I never looked it up. I just assumed that they were true. Whatever they're saying in the encyclopedia, it was fact. And the whole idea is if you're going to be a person of the world, a person who knows things, you need the encyclopedia because that's how you get the information. I wrote a paper when I was in school on tarantulas, and it was all from the encyclopedia. I learned that tarantulas can actually jump over a car. Now, I've never seen one do that, thankfully, but they told me that it can, that there was actually, I think it was in Chile, that they have a song about tarantulas, just like La Cucaracha is about cockroaches. They have La Tarantula or something. They have a song about tarantulas, things I never knew except for the encyclopedia. And so these volumes were to give us insight into the world that we know. And then came Encarta. How many remember Encarta? That CD-ROM. Once Encarta came out, Encyclopedia Britannica's sales plummeted because they could not compete with those videos. And that's all I remember of Encarta, was watching the videos. You know, here's a spaceship, here's this, you know. And now all these things started to become available online through a CD. So Encyclopedia tried to keep up, and so they made CD-ROMs of the Encyclopedia, and they tried to sell them for $2,000. They were trying to keep things going. They couldn't. Then they dropped it to $400, but then they couldn't. Then they had to drop it to $200. Still, people weren't buying it because now it was loose. Information was available everywhere. And now we look back and through the things that we have through Google, through Wikipedia, the 32 volumes of information on the encyclopedia pale in comparison to what we know. There's no way you can fit 
all the information that is online into those volumes. It would triple in size and more the things and the information that we have available for free now. And I say that because as we think of all these volumes and volumes of information to help give us insight onto the things that we see and know here in our world, we come to a place where we start talking about God and this is what we have. A Bible. And if we think that this Bible is going to tell us everything that there is to know about God and his dealings with creation and humanity, I I think we have to put this in perspective. This is a compass that gives us some incredible and unimaginable insight. But scripture was never to be the all information that needs to be known. And, And even the scriptures talk about these kinds of things. I mean, in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They have no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So the psalmist is writing and saying creation itself is declaring information about God. We should be listening to that information as well. We should not think that the information is limited to this book. It is directed and given insight through the scriptures, but it's not limited to those things. And when we say things like that, I mean, I think about, okay, I'm going to say this, and what are people going to think? They're going to think I'm demeaning the Bible, and I'm not demeaning Scripture. They're going to think I'm making it less. I'm not making it less. I just want us to see things clearly. And if it takes volumes and volumes to give us information about the world we live in, do we really think that this is going to contain everything about the God who created everything? There are going to be things that we are going to encounter that we are going to have to wrestle with, that we are going to have to understand that maybe Scripture will give us a nugget to guide us through. But we have to recognize that the world is much bigger than what we see and what we understand. Even John said of Jesus in John 21, verse 25, Jesus did many other things as well, If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Don't you wish you knew some of those things? Wouldn't it be great to have seen some of the other interaction that Jesus had with children, with people, with the religious leaders? There's not enough books to be able to contain all these things. And so we start understanding that there is a lot of information that we don't have. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. In other words, there's things that are disclosed that we can grab hold of, we can understand, but there are a lot of things that are a mystery. 
And remember, a mystery is not something that you cannot understand. It is something that you can endlessly understand. And that's why we are constantly learning about the world that we live in, about the universe that we're a part of. That's why we're constantly learning about people, how we think, our behavior, our DNA, how that plays an effect on our emotions, on our health. We are constantly learning and we should always be in this place where we are able to learn. The first half of my life, it was really about differentiating myself from other people. This is what I believe. This is what you believe. This is what I think. This is how I think. And so much of my life looking back was really establishing my own belief system. And then there came a place in my life where I started realizing that what I know isn't as important as how I'm connected to the people and the things around me. That the knowledge, even as Paul says, puffs up, but love builds up. And you see, I had to learn that through experience. I had to learn that by being involved with relationships. When Corrine and I had kids, we had twins, and we thought we were blessed. <sighs> and we were. But blessing shows up differently than you expect. And we had it all figured out how we were going to raise kids. Because we were Christians. In fact, we had it all figured out how we were going to be married and live this wonderful married life. And, and we are. <laughs> Don't try and get me in trouble. It wasn't long before we realized how little we knew about being married, about raising children. I, I saw a post from a friend of mine saying she thought, I'm not ready to have kids. And I didn't post back, but I wanted to, you're never ready to have kids, just to let you know. Sorry, Brianna, I know this is not an encouraging talk for you right now. The truth is, it's until you have kids that you start to understand. It's until you're married that you start to realize the depths of marriage. It's until you start living and experiencing things that you start to understand a little bit more how to get through it. See, what we want to do is give people information on how they understand things, but we don't teach people how to experience things. And what we really need to do is start understanding that there's a different way of seeing things. The first half of my life, it was really all about me and where I stood in comparison. And the second half of my life, it's turning out it's about me in connection. There's a big difference. There's a short video I want to show before I continue. So, There's this passage in Scripture where Jesus is on the Mount, Transfiguration as we call it, and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah appear. And the disciples see this and they're like, oh, what's going on? And Peter speaks up and he says, should we make a tabernacle, an altar to worship for Moses and for Elijah? And the voice from heaven says, this is my son, Hear him. Listen to him. Was it really Moses? Was it really Elijah? 
Weren't they dead? How do they show up? What way? Are there ghosts? Is it just their spirit that materialized? Did they come back from the dead? Are they still alive but now just present? Were they able to travel back in time? What, What if we see time on a linear plane, but really it's not? God, who is eternal, sees time from different perspectives. He sees it linearly, but also over viewing it as one moment. What would happen if you saw time in in two perspectives at the same time? What if I saw time as linear, but I experienced it also in an eternal perspective? Would that give me a sense of deja vu? I don't know. I'm just saying. There's so many things that we just read and we say, oh yeah, this happened, but what's happening? Do we understand what is taking place or is it revealing something and maybe as time goes on, we'll begin to understand more. Often we want to reduce God to to doctrine and to dogma and we start to lose the experience of awe. And let's face it, love is not something that can be put into a doctrine or a dogma. In other words, love is not something that you'll get enough information to know what it is. It's only something that you can experience. And isn't God love? So isn't that experience an important part of understanding who God is? Now, again, we have guidelines in Scripture that tells us things that God's character is like. But he's got to be so much more than just what we're able to understand. And and often our understanding of God is controlled by our culture. A person's view and thoughts on Christianity in the South might be a lot different than a person's view of Christianity in California. And then you take that and you put it in China. Now, there are the similarities, but it shows up and its culture has an influence on it. It's been said that culture eats religion for lunch. And what that means is religion starts to adopt to that culture. And if we make our faith cultural, are we limiting it? I love the United States of America. I've been all over the world and I love this country. Whenever I go to Mexico for long periods of time, I'm glad to get back. The same thing with when I've been to China, been to Europe. I love the United States. But if I think that my cultural bias does not affect my faith in any way, I need to be careful because it surely does. A lot of Christians say, you know, God is the most important thing. Those who live in the United States, Jesus is the most important. Everyone here would probably raise their hand. Is Jesus the most important thing? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But then when it comes to a place where we're going to put a Christian flag up on a flagpole. Now, the Christian flag was, 
I think, came about in like 1890. So it's not some historic thing. Okay, it was actually in the United States, I believe, when it was developed. But if you only have one flagpole and you've got to put two flags on it, you're going to put the American flag and the Christian flag. Which one goes on top? What if you want to say that God's more important to you? See, if you say Jesus is more important to me, I'm going to put the Christian flag on top. Oh, watch what happens. Some of you are already going, hey, don't keep putting the American flag on. Now, maybe that's for another talk. But you see, culture affects our thinking. And when our culture starts to limit what God can do or goes into a self-preservation, because all culture does, wants to preserve itself, then we start finding ourselves threatened. And when we feel threatened, we move from a place of inclusion to a place of protection. We see that in the nation of Israel. God blessed Abraham so that all the nations of the earth might be blessed. But instead, Israel started to become its us against them. I think we see that in a large way in Christianity, where now it's become us versus them, where the whole point of us was to reach them. Because God is speaking to them. And, And so we start thinking, well, how big is God? Well, how big is the universe? Because let's face it, if God is the creator, he has to be bigger than that which he created. Right? So how big is the universe? And so I started reading some things on how big the universe is, watching some YouTube videos, and it's pretty mind-boggling. They took the Hubble telescope and they aimed it at this dark patch a sky out in the universe. And and they let it absorb the light from that one area for 140 hours to get all the information. And this spot in the universe that they're actually absorbing that light from, if you were to put a grain of sand on your finger and hold it up, that grain of sand would equal the spot that they looked at. Or if you held a penny, the, the D in God we trust, that D is the size of the space that they looked at comparatively to the universe that was around them. And what they found was incredible. The information they got from that little speck involved millions of galaxies. Now, every galaxy they think has 100 billion stars. That's just, I don't know how to think in those kinds of numbers, right? A hundred billion. And so how many stars is a hundred billion? Imagine taking an Olympic-sized swimming pool and filling it with regular-sized marbles, the kind of marbles you used to play with. They estimate probably give or take a few marbles, right? I don't know how you... But mathematically, they figured that every Olympic-sized swimming pool could hold about a billion marbles. So it would take a hundred Olympic-sized swimming pools filled with marbles to equal one of the galaxies, and they saw multiple galaxies. They say that there are six galaxies for every human being on the earth. 
that there are more stars or more galaxies than there are sands, grains of sands that are on the earth. It makes you feel a little small. Have you ever been out on the ocean or maybe out on a, a wilderness place and you're just by yourself and you just feel like the world is so, so big? I am so, so small. That's in comparison to an ocean. That's not taking into consideration where we are compared to a speck of sand with billions of stars. And the point of this is what has happened is that the more and more people become aware of the complexity and the magnitude of creation. It it forces us to think in larger and larger terms. You see, the light that we're seeing, we know it's from stars that are light years away. They can't measure it any other way. They have to measure it by how fast light travels in in a year. So they start measuring that and they figure that the distance of that star, the light to receive us, that the earth has to be or the universe has to be billions of years old because that star is so far away for the light to reach us, it would take that long that we're actually looking in the past when we see the stars. And the reason they start discovering more stars is because the light finally gets to us. And as they start measuring stars from different perspectives, in other words, from this telescope and from this place on the earth, and they see this star, they start noticing that the universe is actually expanding. It's actually moving and growing which is another mind-boggling thing. That's why they have the theory of the Big Bang Theory. Something has pushed these things out. And again, we start thinking, there are actually people who are now thinking, what if instead of looking at planets and things as, you know, how did life develop or how can life develop? What if we start with life itself? What if life was here and everything came from life instead of everything was lifeless and then life somehow evolved. You see, there's so many things that are are coming up in our thinking, but if we have a small view of the universe that we're living in, if our God is only interested in us people and we measure time by how we are here, do you see how people outside say, your God is a little too small for me to believe in? Because your God is only interested in the Hebrew people and then the Christian people and in trying to get this world straightened out. But I'm looking at something that is so enormous, it is causing my soul to wonder. And if your God no longer can encompass this that we are understanding, then your God becomes too small. And so many young people today, even though their information may be limited by the resources they're receiving from, they're starting to see that this picture is much bigger than the picture that some people have been presenting about God 
all along. And so when they talk about time travel, they're not just talking in movies. They're talking about, well, if light is showing up, what would happen in the speed of light if you were traveling the speed of light? And then you've got Einstein's theory of relativity. And you start to go into these places and, oh, they're starting to think of things. And if we're just saying, oh, no, this is how it is. This is all it is. And we're going to hold on to our little understanding people start thinking, well, your God is a little too small. And if you hear someone say, well, they think they found life on Mars, and then you hear Christians panicking, why? Did you think that you were the only ones that mattered? What if they find life on another planet? What if, green or gray or whoever, you know, People show up somewhere. Is it going to reduce your ability to believe in God? Is your God not the one who created more than we understand and can fathom? Why would you be surprised? What is it that you're blocking out? Why are you not able to embrace more when there is already more than we can understand? And it really has to do with the way that we're thinking. If God's only interested in our planet, he's only interested in human beings, he's only interested in the atonement, dying for the sin, bringing us to salvation, that's all the whole purpose of this. Man, that's a whole lot of creating for why. But if this is so immense and so beautiful, Maybe there's a lot more and we're just not connected and seeing God and all that he's trying to display and reveal. Isaiah 55, 9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than my ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, the Lord says. Psalm 103, 11, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him whole idea of fear comes into a whole nother meaning when you start thinking of really where we are in this whole universe. It makes you get a little scared. But not like, oh no, what am I going to do? I'm out here in the ball flying through space with billions and billions and billions of marbles. And we're not even one of the marbles. We're one of the little things circling one of the marbles. Just to put it in perspective, right? wow, there's a a sense of fear that takes place. See, as we move forward, we're going to have to uncover, we are going to uncover and discover more and more things about the universe around us, the world that we live in, the micro-universe we're living in. You know, they're trying to understand the smallest thing that they can you know we used to think it was atom and then there was the protons and electrons neutrons but now they're going even smaller still and they've got the hydron collider they're trying to collide these things to see what comes out of those things are you afraid of what they're going to discover why why wouldn't you be wanting to embrace those things and why would we feel our faith is challenged by whatever we can discover Again, are we going to go to a place where we're protective, where we're exclusive? Because now our culture and the way we think, maybe it's a Christian culture, starts to be afraid of anything that opposes it. 
instead of being on the lead to discover because our God is much bigger than we can understand. Let's just face it. And let's step into that mystery, that endless discovery of things. The magnitude and magnificence of creation should leave us in awe of the creator. I used to play that game Clue where you would pick up the cards and you'd have to find out, you know, is it the butler with the candlestick in the whatever room, right? And the whole idea is this is a mystery because we're going to uncover it. We're going to discover it. Well, you're not going to be able to uncover all there is to know about God. Let's put that on the table. Because we want certainty. I want to know everything that I can know about God. Give it up. Who do you think you are in this swimming pool of marbles? Right? Your mind cannot fathom eternity, yet you have the knowledge that it's there. That's interesting. There is no way you can be certain of everything that is going on in the world, and it's no way that you're going to be able to stop discovery. It's going to keep happening because there is so much to discover. Stop being afraid of it. Stop thinking that you have to know all of it. Recognize that you are never going to get to the place where it was the butler in the living room with the knife. That's not how God works. That's not how God even reveals himself. All creation is speaking. In Job chapter 11, verses 7 and 9, it says, Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty. Remember, we can't fathom the universe, and he has to be greater than that. They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. I want us to be curious about what is out there. I want us to be curious about how God is at work all around us. I want us to take the scripture and I want us to search it. I want us to devour it. I want us to try and understand all that we can in it and recognize that it is telling us that there is more than we can understand. So that we don't think, I got the Bible. I know it all. Oh, really? So you know about quantum physics. You know about string theory. I know about string cheese, okay? (laughs) This theories and these understandings take nothing away from the Scripture. But if we are close to these things and understanding, then what we're doing is making our God very, very small. And people who are, especially in the scientific fields, people who are going to school studying biology, they will look at us. And when we say, this is all that God is, and this is who God is, he's interested in this and this and this and this, and that's it, we've got it figured out. They will say, your God is too small for what I know. 
And we need to be careful that we don't make God small so that we can understand him. He is beyond our ability to understand. And he is revealing himself even through all of creation. And we need to have our eyes open so that we can see what is happening. Otherwise, we will be like the Encyclopedia Britannica. We become of no use because we no longer have relevant information and we have too little of it for people to be engaged. Let's not become obsolete because our minds and our eyes are closed to the magnitude of the universe that we're living in. Let's pray. Lord, I don't think I answered any of the questions about time travel, about aliens, about deja vu. But I hope I provoked questions. Lord, I hope that we have questions about how big, how great not only the universe is, but that you are. And that when we read things about heavens declaring your glory and and speaking to us, that we wouldn't minimize it, that we wouldn't limit you. When we think about your hand at work in creation, your revelation through Christ, that we wouldn't limit you, that it would be a door to more, not to less that it would provoke more questions, that we would want to understand more about the world that we live in, that we would want to be involved with these kinds of studies, that we wouldn't see science or technology as an adversary, but we would see it as an opportunity to find out more, to step into these conversations with open eyes. Because you are speaking there, Scripture tells us so. May we invite that conversation. May we participate in in it. God, may we not limit you because we are afraid of what we will find. May we not make you part of our culture and limit your words to us because it might make us uncomfortable because it is a terrifying thing to recognize how great you are and what is humbling still is how much you love us Father may that capture us and may it change us Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. May your limitation of God be destroyed and may you have eyes to see and ears to hear. May you have a heart to understand how high, how deep, how wide is God's love for you. May you experience the love of God that passes all knowledge. And may you step into the mystery and be ever learning how great is your God and how great is his love for you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.
You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.